This is Making Stitches and this week textile artist Janet Brown shares not just her creative journey but how she documents actual journeys in fabric. I couldn't dream of going on holiday without a sketchbook and it may just be, I, I do very little, sometimes I just write down words. Um, I once did all the warning signs from, I think we were going to Scotland, and each of the warning signs had different little um, phrases on. Don't forget your seatbelt and uh, uh, remember it's a crime to drink and drive and all sorts of things all the way up. And I wrote every single one of these down, hoping at some point that I might use them in a piece of work. I haven't yet, but they're all tucked away, ready to be brought out at some point. So, yeah, things are constantly, constantly catching my eye. Hello and welcome to Making Stitches and a special hello to any new listeners who've recently found Making Stitches. It's lovely to have your company. Now, after two episodes, which were almost exclusively about crochet, we're turning our attention to textiles this time and textile art in particular. Janet Brown is a textile artist who's based in Yorkshire and creates the most beautiful pieces of observational art, featuring journeys she's been on, as well as detailed pictures of townscapes, gardens and allotments. Janet has a background in education and grew up in a family which was very creative. She finds inspiration all around her, but like so many of us, she's seen her world shrink thanks to the pandemic, and that has had an impact on her work. We spoke at the end of last year, and she began by telling me exactly what it is she does. I like to think of myself as a textile artist, or maybe an artist who works with textiles. Um, and I'm particularly interested in mapping various journeys, places, um, townscapes using hand-dyed fabrics and what I would regard quite a um, quirky style based on sort of folk art and uh, quite naive, uh, quite a naive style. Um, I like to map familiar journeys and the way I would go about doing that is by obviously doing the journey and taking little snapshot drawings and photographs and little references along the way, which I would then combine into a piece of work, which is based on reality, but is very much an interpretation of that journey. So it will have elements, but it will also have aspects which have been manipulated in order to fit the picture space and to make the thing hang together. Um, now, obviously, these some of these journeys cover a long distance, sometimes from one end of the country to the other. So the amount of detail I'm able to include has to be very, very selective. And most of the journeys, however, are based around Yorkshire. Um, and I guess one or two of the particular holiday spots that we've been to as well. But primarily, I make maps. And in more recent times, 
the spin-off from those maps. So if you like, picking out some of the details that particularly interest me, have evolved the work into looking much more at gardens, allotments, and the wildlife that I see as I travel along these places. And to a degree, some of the townscapes as well. So it's it's maps made out of hand-dyed fabric, uh, a little bit of wadding to give a bit of surface texture, stitch, both machine and embroidery. Now, um, Janet, to, looking at your work um, the first time, I was trying, there was something quite childlike or um, illustrative about your work that reminded me of, of being a child. I don't know whether it was the books I'd read or, or the things I was exposed to at school, but there's something just so familiar and just comforting about your work. Yes, I think I know what you mean. Uh, my uh, bulk of my career, I guess, uh, has been around education. I, I taught primary school and a little more laterally some special educational needs work. So a lot of that work was to do with children's drawings, to do with their art. And those were my particular interests in school. And I often was the lead teacher in 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 those aspects of the curriculum. So consciously or unconsciously, it's hard to say, those children's drawings and the way children see the world have very much affected the, the, the way I produce my work. And I think the colours also uh, come into play with, you know, that sort of bright, colourful way that children like like to work. But I think regardless of that uh, I think it's the way I've always worked I've always been very very interested in colour and my main art education was in the 70s uh, a long time ago now but it was very much about colour so that's extraordinarily important to my work and people have told me and, and I it's probably true that that they have a certain humour to them which again is a bit unconscious but I just see little things that that interest me an example would be recently I did a little map a lot during the lockdown and there were some ladies swimming in the river which is quite unusual but it would be that sort of detail that would pick up on to including one of my maps rather than maybe a beautiful tree but it would be that sort of human element a uh, slightly quirky element that I'd I'd like to pick up on uh, within the work. Well, I think that's what kind of brings it alive, isn't it? it it's not just a yeah. it's not yeah. just a, a plain observation. There's there's so much more within within your work, so much more detail. Yes, uh, and that partly comes down to the way I work because, as I said a little earlier, when I'm making the maps. Um, it's impossible if you're doing a long journey to include every single detail that you see. I mean, it would be it would be crazy to try and do that. So you've really got to decide what catches your eye to include, and it, it is those quirky things. Um, and it it may be the patterns of the landscape, and the, you then have to simplify that as well to make it so that it all hangs together. 
so that simplification also makes it, I think, have that childlike um, aspect. And also, th- there's very the perspective is all over the place, um, and it's very flat, and we're looking down as if it's in plan, it's particularly the maps and to a, an extent most of the gardens and allotment pieces you're sort of looking at it in plan, which again simplifies it. Um, and there's a lot of representation of larger things using using the simple symbols. So a large flock of sheep, for instance, will be represented by maybe just two or three sheep, which are all the same source of sheep, but just gives a sense that this is where sheep are without having to try and fit every single one in or... You know, that would apply to other aspects of, of the work as well, trees and uh, cars and houses as well. So very much in the way that a, a map would be if you were to look at it normally. Yes, yes. Um, and certainly when I first began working, I did do a lot of looking at Ordnance Survey maps, particularly the older style Ordnance Survey maps, because the symbols that are used in those, I found quite interesting. And I hope, I think I've always found quite interesting, because you can say such a lot with a tiny symbol. You can show that this here is a whole forest with just one tree, or here is a battlefield with just a very simple piece of design and I like that and I've lifted that idea and put that into the maps as well which again adds to that simplification but I've invented my own if you like ordnance survey symbols um, which occur throughout all the maps sheep have already mentioned cows have a particular symbol um some flowers and trees are done in a particular style that is common throughout all the work so that also can be added to with um, pattern and design from stitches as well so marshy ground for instance i use a particular style of stitch or uh, sometimes for roadways or hard surfaces and nearly always put French knots in to suggest the hardness and the unevenness of that place. So there's lots of little um, invented symbols as well as as well as some of the ones that are directly from Ordnance Survey, which helps me to put the piece together without it becoming overly complex. Do you find that when you're going out and about on a day-to-day basis that you're always spotting ideas that you want to incorporate in, in yes. future things? <laughs> yes, and it can, it can be quite frustrating. Um, I, usually, I usually have a, a sketchbook, or at the very least a piece of paper and pencils about, about my person all the time in my bag or, or whatever. Certainly going on holiday, I couldn't dream of going on holiday without a sketchbook. And it may just be, I, I do very little. Sometimes I just write down words. Um, I once did all the warning signs from, uh, I think we were going to Scotland, and each of the warning signs had different little um, phrases on Um don't forget your seatbelt and uh, uh, remember it's a crime to drink and drive and all sorts of things all the way up. And I wrote every single one of these down. 
hoping at some point that I might use them in a piece of work. I haven't yet, but they're all tucked away, ready to be brought out at some point when I've put together the idea that might work for those pieces of work. So, yeah, things are constantly, constantly catching my eye. And part of the process of making work is trying to refine all those ideas into the ones that are really important and will work well in a piece of work. And lockdowns have been especially hard, I guess, for everybody. But because I haven't been able to travel as far as I would normally do, so the things I'm seeing are the very familiar things. So I'm trying to look at familiar things and try to look deeper into them and pick out things I may have not noticed before. So I'm having to look harder at ordinary things to find those aspects that are interesting. So it, it's it's had had me thinking in a slightly different way. Um, so the, the long journeys have gone for the time being, but the, the tiny little detail pieces are in are in now because it's it, life has become much smaller in a sense, and my work's become much smaller, reflecting it. How has the lockdown affected your work then, as far as your uh, what you're producing? <laughs> Quite a lot. Um, normally, we'd go on ho- holiday or go on journeys quite a lot, and that would give me lots of information to make new pieces of work about new places. And we haven't been able to do that. So I've had to make work about the local environment and really about the local walks I've been able to do, uh, many of which I've repeated over and over. I'm sure lots of people have done that. So that's where they're the looking really carefully at the little things. So I've had to adapt. And things like my own garden, the local allotments, um, the, the sort of village houses and things have become now the the research areas for my work. It's, it's that that I look at rather than um, the much wider world. So the garden in particular, I've done all sorts of um, different variations of that. And also my friends' and relatives' gardens, um, because... You spend most of your time talking to friends and relatives stood in their garden. (laughs) So they've also become part of my work as well. But you met those people whose gardens I'm choosing to represent may not recognise them straight away because, again, I pick out the bits that I like that interest me and disregard some of other aspects. So that, and also the colour I change. I like to I like to keep it bright so if if the shed's a sort of dirty brown I maybe do it blue because it needs to be blue in order to give the the work the cheerfulness that it, that the rest of the garden has yeah so so um yes it it has changed it a lot and it's been much much harder to find inspiration it's not come as easily uh, i've had to really work to do it um 
I've also done some flower pieces which I've never done before. Uh, when all the wildflowers were coming out, um, I made some maps of the wildflowers that I was seeing during the March, April and May, the early part of lockdown. So yes, different things um, appearing. <laughs> Have you found your your work has helped you cope with going through lockdown? Yes, with I think without it, oh, I dread to think because just as going out for a walk, uh, I think a lot of people have found going out for a walk has you can change your mood, you can release some of the anxiety that you might be feeling. Um, going upstairs to my workroom and sitting down and just really immersing myself in making a piece of work, which I always find very relaxing at, at any time. But there's something about the sort of steady chug, chug, chug of the sewing machine and the the, the normalness of doing that that's been very reassuring and, and it's sort of having a space where you can escape the news and and everything else and just get on and do something uh, and have feel you've produced something positive at the end instead of just uh, a load of anxiety and worry. So yes, it's been tremendously important, tremendously important. I I'm not sure how I'd be without it. <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that though, Janet. No, no, absolutely not. No. Now, can, can I take you from our current situation right the way back to your childhood? Yes. Um, have you always been a crafty person? Yes. Uh, I can't remember a time when I haven't done some drawing or making or um, producing something. Uh, and that would very much be to do with family influences, grandmas, um, parents that both knitted, sewed, um, made clothing, you know, my dad in particular, um, because he was in the Navy, was uh, very interested in stitching, which I think he did during the downtimes during the war. Um, and that obviously has a big influence on, on me. And it's also the education I had, I was very fortunate that I had an education where drawing, painting, making, sewing, knitting, cooking was a really important part of the curriculum. I may be wrong, but I seem to remember we spent most afternoons doing some sort of practical activity. Um, and that was absolutely fundamental in giving me a, a, a basis from from well a good starting point uh where, where i could work from um and even though i didn't come into making working fabric until i was older i was much more drawing and painting um those skills that i learned in my early years then became very very important and i could build on them uh at different points during my life um, and I've always drawn I've always been interested in 
Uh, I could never understand why people would prefer to write rather than draw or paint. Um, and even when I wasn't able to produce my work because of children or my career, um, I've always continued to draw and ob observe and sketch and, you know, have cupboards full of sketchbooks and drawings that just sit there. But, but it was just something I just always had to do. And it's only since my children have got older that I've been able to develop that into into making work in, in the way I now do. Um, and that's been... I, I'm not even sure I could have done it as a younger person. I think it's, it's as you get older and you acquire all these skills and then suddenly it all clicks together how it's going to work as a piece of art um, that you're able then to um, make, make work. And I think for me... I almost needed all those life experiences to put into my work before I could really have a confidence to make make work in the way I do now. Well, that's really interesting, actually. Mm. It's it's all it's all come come together almost like a, a yes. gathering the ingredients for a recipe together. Exactly. Yes, yes. You know, the, the early experiences with um, my family and and their their sort of creative but practical skills and then working with children and their view of the world going to college and doing um well it was a, a teaching degree but it, it had a very very large element of of art um so learning some more sort of formal skills and then later in life i did do um evening classes and agencies in textile design that sort of just tipped it into helping me then well it's like a springboard then as you say putting all those ingredients together and thinking oh yes I know what I'm doing now as if <laughs> all that time I've been well I don't know what I'm doing this for but suddenly I thought yes I do know what I'm doing now and and I can do it so yes, it's, it feels almost like that. That it's um, taken it's taken time, but it had to yes. in order to evolve <laughs> until you were ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You mentioned that um, you used hand dyed cotton as well as yes. embroidery in your pieces. So you dye the cotton yourself, do you? Yes, I I buy um, dyes. I buy Prussian dyes, um, which I seldom use straight from the pot. I mix them, which is tricky because you can't really see the colour until it gets onto the fabric. Um, so, yes, I, I dye each fabric. And when I'm doing a major piece of work, uh, like a very large map, for instance, I make the, the design, I make the drawing of all those elements, those sketches and photographs and all the things so I make the drawing that I'm, I'm going to uh, work from and usually I colour it in somewhere either I paint it or, or use coloured crayons and then look at those colours and then try and mix the dye colours for the fabrics to match so it's quite tricky to get it just right so I won't do every single colour but because I will already have some colours that will work but the 
the important colours like maybe the sea colour or the, the, the sand colour that's really important to set that work in the right sort of place. Um, I'll mix those. And then that also gives the piece of work a uniqueness because I can't then mix that colour again. So I might make or try to make that piece of work again, but it won't be the same because the colours will be different. So every single piece of work is completely original, even if I repeat a design, which I do occasionally, it's never quite the same because the mix of colours is never quite the same. Um, so I then work on with this coloured cotton, but I also put a layer of wadding behind the coloured cotton to give um, well, to give stability to the fabric so it doesn't move around too much, but also to give a little bit of texture to it. Um, and when I've made a design and done all the dyeing and got all the materials ready, the way I start the design is to trace the drawing and then work from the back. So I put the drawing onto the back of the work I'm going to do and piece by piece stitch from the back around the drawing lines that I've made, that, that I've traced, um, and cut back the piece I've stitched before I then put the next piece in. So the larger piece of work will have thousands of tiny pieces. Um, so they do take quite a long time to make. Take a long time to make. Um, and then they're finished with hand stitch. And I always use um, very dark navy blue uh, machine stitch because I feel that echoes a pen line because that goes back to my interest in drawing. And I like that graphic quality that you can get on the fabric with a dark line. Um, so it's always a navy blue line, but the hand stitch will be any any colours that uh, I feel are right for that piece of work. That's fascinating. So yes, very time consuming. <laughs> <laughs> but incredibly special, every piece being completely unique. Yes, yes. And I am asked sometimes to repeat pieces of work. Someone will see a piece on the website which is sold. Could I make another one? Well, yes, I can. And I can make it very similar, but I can't bear to make it exactly the same. I always like to revisit that place and see what's changed and put the new details in. So two pieces of work are never the same. Even the tiniest pieces, which some of the very small pieces I might make, two or three of them, but they'll always be different because the colours will be different, the stitch might be slightly different, maybe different, may put a different plant or a different uh, colour shed or something. Um, so, yeah, every single piece is completely different. There's nothing that's um, mass-produced in any way. It's all handmade and unique to that individual piece. Yeah, but that just, like I said before, that just makes it so much more special, doesn't it? So yes, everybody who yes. has a piece of your work knows that there's no other piece like that anywhere else in the world. Yes, yes, that's 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 absolutely true. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think, oh dear, I'm making such a lot of work for myself because 
there would be easier ways of making pieces of work. You know, I could uh, print onto the fabric and and stitch onto it in that way, but it wouldn't be the same. It, It has to be as it is in order for it to work, for me at any rate. It has to be the way I make it with the stitched edges and each individual piece. It has to be like that. And sometimes I very, very consciously make things extraordinarily complicated just to see if I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Just to see if it's possible. (laughs) Making life hard for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, quite deliberately I, I, I do because if it's too easy, I don't feel it's earned it's earned its place hmm. it, if you're going to make work it's got to be oh it sounds it's not got to be a struggle you've got to have pleasure in making it but it, it can't become monotonous it's always got to have a little bit of challenge to it and when it stops having a challenge then I feel in my work at any rate it loses its edge it loses something it, so it's that challenge that, that I think um helps to keep it fresh well at least I hope so um but it's yeah I do like I do like to push it really hard sometimes (laughs) (laughs) well we talked about the past and the present Janet what about the future what what are your plans for next year and and for, for your work well that's very difficult isn't it at this at this current time um I mean obviously I hope that uh, fairs and events will return um, maybe mid-year next year or something and and that will be nice to get back in into the world but um, as far as making the work goes it's really hard to say what I'm going to make next because until I see it I don't always know I mean I I, I dearly want to make some more maps um, because that that is the thing that really interests me. I love making the maps. Um, and all the other work I do, all the allotments, and I do birds and animals, they're just um, extras. It's almost like the map is the central thing. And then I might make a series of work that goes with it, like some nice allotments I saw or an interesting group of birds that were there or a town that was particularly good. And that might go around... I might make us extra pieces to go with that work. But there's always this central piece that, that usually is a map. And I haven't been able to do that over this last year. So I, I really want to get out and do some of those again. Um, and they are a bit indulgent because they may just be for me and they may not always have a lot of interest for other people. But what I can get from them is all the extra bits as I just said you know allotments and and animals and birds and things um but exactly what it will be it's really difficult to say um I'm hoping that uh, they may have a joyousness around them if this if this dreadful virus is overcome and I hope somehow to reflect that in what I do quite how yet I'm not sure I mean it may just be um, that everything will will have more colour more 
uh, more people in, maybe. Maybe it might be to do with people, and uh, which I don't normally include many people in, in my work, but maybe that might be something that the joy of people might have to go into the work somehow or other, that we can be together as people uh, again. So, so it, it's that sort of thing. But I'm not quite sure yet. I kind of know what I might want to do, taking part in events and getting work back out for people to see. But exactly what that will be is a little bit hard to say until I've experienced it. Um, I'm not quite sure yet. Not well, quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to seeing what that will be when it finally comes. <laughs> Yes, when it finally comes, yeah, that will be that will be fantastic, um, and I'm sure um, there will be many artists who will produce some joyful work uh, at that point. I don't know about you, but I could listen to Janet speak about her work for hours. Thank you very much, Janet, for speaking to me for Making Stitches. I loved hearing about your creative process and where you find your inspiration, especially now all of us have found our worlds getting much smaller. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Janet and her beautiful work, if you haven't seen it yet, I really recommend you seeking it out. I'll include a link to Janet's website in the show notes for this episode. Thank you very much for listening to this, the 20th episode of Making Stitches. Now, since the podcast first started out last April, I have been blessed to have had the support of some truly lovely listeners and a wonderful community out there in cyberspace, and I'm really grateful for that. As I'm sure you're aware, we're facing lockdown here in the UK at the moment, and with that, my time has been consumed of late with homeschooling. Now, that's had a huge impact on how much free time I have for making stitches. So I've decided that as this is episode 20, it's a nice round number at which to take a short break. I promise I'll be back again in a few weeks time, but I need just a little bit more time to fit recording in around my new job as teacher, which incidentally I'm not qualified for. Uh, Please make sure you're subscribed to Making Stitches on whatever podcast app or platform you use. And then when I do come back, the new episode will appear on your device and you won't miss it. You can also find and follow Making Stitches on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and I'll let you know on there when the next episode is coming out. That's all for this week. I'll be back again as soon as I can with another episode of Making Stitches for you featuring another inspiring maker. My name's Lindsay and this podcast is recorded and edited by me. You can also find me on my blog, Postcard from Gibraltar. Thanks again for listening and until next time, keep safe and enjoy your crafting.